0: Uh, today's a special day. Hannah Rouse is here. Um, so it's a, it's a just, well, you'll see who she is. I I see some people like Hannah Rouse. Um, you you know, there are times in our life uh, as, as a church family when things happen and we say, we need to really pray. This is, this is really serious. And then we just sort of like forget about it and move on. And I think it's, uh, important to sort of re- revisit where we were sort of two and a half years ago. Uh, I should have brought Kleenex because this is going to be a rough one. Like <laughs> she's like, I'm going to try to get through it. I have I really wear long sleeves, so I'm like, um, <laughs> she, she, okay. <laughs> uh, just because this is okay. So I sort of went back. For those of you that don't know, Hannah has uh, leukemia. And she's been through her treatment. It's been two and a half years, and everything is really good. And so today is like a, ce- a day of celebration. Uh, but I want to reflect back. And so I went through some of the emails. On July twenty seventh, 2020, I sent this email out to the church. A Grace Point Church family, uh, Jeremiah Rouse, contacted me asking for prayer for their oldest daughter, Hannah. Uh, without going into details, she has felt poorly off and on for the last few months. She has tested negative for COVID. Uh, today, she has been admitted to the hospital for the next few days for testing. Please pray that she has supernatural peace through this and the doctors are able to determine what's going on. Please pray for Jeremiah and Heidi. Thank you for your faithful prayers. Uh, two days later, I sent out this email on July 29th, uh, 2020. Uh, Grace Point Church family, I just received an update from Jeremiah concerning an update that I can share with all of you. Uh, please keep Jeremiah, Heidi, Hannah, Rebecca, Caleb, and their extended family in your prayers. Here's what I received from Jeremiah, although it looks like Heidi wrote it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, there was like punk- punctuation and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> what we are willing to share with everyone is that Hannah has a very treatable form of leukemia. She is going to go through a treatment that is going to make her immune system very weak for the next six to eight months. Because of this, we will have to be very careful about illness and the possibility of infections. We thank you for your prayers and welcome letters and notes of encouragement, especially for Hannah and Rebecca. Hannah is still in the hospital and remain there for at least the next week. Thank you for your faithful prayers, Pastor Gunnar. And during this time, I remember Faye, I saw her with her hat today. Where's the silver hat? There it is. Uh, at the time you're reading this book about the rabbits, what was this called? They're, the, the what? The Green Ember series; these were the danger bunnies as I knew them. And so, Faye made these bookmarks as a reminder to be praying for her. I've had this in my office ever since, kind of taped to my door. Um, so, we have a couple pictures to show you guys. So, this is her doing treatment. Is there anything to say about this? Is Ivy? Is it? Is it? It's okay. So that's her getting treatment. This is kind of like over the course of the treatment. Then we have the next picture. Not in chronological order, I don't think. Um, this is, this was, this is her taking her last radiation. No, no, chemotherapy. It's her last chemotherapy pill. So it was a big day of celebration. She trashed her, her pill jar after that. And then I, yeah, so it's super exciting. And so then I like that, so from my background in the Navy um, and cancer patients, they've adopted some of the same traditions. So in the SEAL teams, if you want to quit, if you're done with the program, you ring a bell. And apparently with cancer, it's the same way. So we have a little video of her ringing the bell signifying her last day of treatment. I think there's sound too, but I'm not sure. And I think you have to press play. Sometimes it starts automatically, sometimes it doesn't, so... And then there's another picture we can advance to the oh wait are they doing a were they doing a pinning ceremony or something Nothing. it was like I think the grain is because it was from a cell phone to the big screen so then there's a picture of Hannah and then the last picture of her family. everybody did a great job i I do want to it was uh, um do you, do you guys want to say anything no so there she's done with treatment now. it's super exciting um I like, I want to applaud the whole family. Like we went through COVID and seeing a lot of people, uh, how they handled COVID and then having a daughter going through leukemia with serious concerns, like their balancing act between letting life go on as normal while, you know, just balancing the risk of getting sick from other people, but also understanding that being with other people is super important. Uh, it was super encouraging to, to me to see, but we're going to have Hannah come up here. And we're going to pray for her, and we're going to mainly just thank God for her. So, oh, I love this. So I'll try to get through this. There's construction. Okay. She's like, you're going to be okay. Okay, let's try it. Uh, Father, we do just uh, thank you, Lord. It's been two and a half years uh, since her diagnosis, and we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to her and her family. Uh, Father, we thank you that she's through her her treatment and that she has come through the other end um, just positively, Lord, um, that her cancer is taken care of and that there's a whole lot of hope in front of her. And Father, I just thank you for her sweet spirit. I thank you for uh, her sense of humor. Uh, I've been the victim of a lot of her pranks, and so I just thank you for uh, that. And Father, I do pray that you would have your hand upon her. Uh, all the days of her life. May she honor you with her life. Uh, May you guide her all the days uh, that she has on this earth. And we just give you thanks uh, for all that you've done in the last two and a half years. And we celebrate this this mile marker in her life. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Love you, kiddo. Do you need a tissue? (laughs) Uh, All right. With that, the kids who go to Sunday school can go to Sunday school. super sweet, super sweet day. Okay, so today we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 5, of verses 6 through 12. Uh, so we're, we're sort of a, approaching the grand finale of 1 John, which next week we are going to have Christmas next week. But in two weeks, we're going to focus on Uh, first John 513, which is sort of the, the grand finale. Um, I think it's like what first John is, is pointing to and is, and is the, uh, really the key verse of first John. And so we're, we're leading right up to that point. And so Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have to gather. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we study this last section of of or this present section of first john lord as we um, sort of look at your testimony of who jesus is father i pray that you would help us uh to see him as the savior of the world we thank you lord for the evidence that points uh to the veracity of christ we thank you that his death on the cross was sufficient for us father i pray for each and every one of us lord there may be people here who are still investigating who Jesus is. And if they have questions and concerns, I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, you would lead them uh, to the evidence that they need to to reach that point where they can really trust in you uh, with genuine faith, that they would be transferred from darkness into light, uh, from death into life, and that they would be uh, freed from their sins. And Father, for those of us who have received I pray, Father, that as we look at this passage, that you would help us, Lord, to be grounded in our faith, that we would have assurance of our standing with you. We thank you, God, that through the work on the cross, um, that we have freedom, that we have been uh, relieved of the punishment of our sins. They have been placed on Jesus as full, and that in Christ, you see his righteousness in us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you, um, that is reasonable in light of what you have done for us. Uh, we thank you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. Okay, so here we are. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. <clears throat> this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with water and with blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For these, for there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he, does not, he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. And Father, we do thank you again uh, for your word. We thank you for this day. We ask that you would lead us now as we study your word. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. Okay. I'm not sure if I skipped an introduction. I did. Um, Okay, so today's passage... We have to kind of get in our minds a courtroom scene. I don't know if some of you liked. I like the old Perry Masons, and you know, there's always the courtroom scene, like the the tension sort of builds until uh, the case sort of unravels before whichever side you're not going for, and the you know the good guy wins. And so today's story, we find ourselves that John has been sort of making this 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 courtroom appeal um, on on the one side of the courtroom is that Jesus is just a good man, that he's a guy, he was a rabbi, he lived his life, he was good, but that's that's the short of it. That side has already given their testimony. They've already made their whole case, their whole presentation, and John is giving his rebuttal, and he's making the chase, the, the, the case that Jesus is not just a good man, he's the God-man, and that he is divine and that he is reliable, and that he is the one that c- provides eternal life. And so we sort of enter into this court scene uh, sort of blindsided or, or not really knowing the other half, which makes it sort of difficult. Um, I've heard it said that all Scripture is equally true, but not all Scripture is equally clear. There are, there are things in Scripture at times that are very difficult for us to understand, and this can happen for a number of reasons. The, the the one reason is that it's just new information to you, like you're you're new to the faith or you're checking out Christianity, and there's information from the Bible that's presented to you, and it's just not really clear because it's just so radically different from anything you've ever heard before. Um, the the second reason it might not be so clear is you might not agree with the information. Is that you you have this worldview and it, and what the Bible is telling you. It's in total like conflict with your worldview, and you're arguing against it, and you're not hearing it, and so then there's like confusion, uh, and then in this situation, I think today is it could be unclear because we're missing some information that, that we're getting like the other half of a of a story without knowing the sort of the original uh, other side of the story. Uh, The the context were removed culturally were removed some two thousand years from when this was written, and so the time of this writing, in today's story, there was there were clearly individuals that were going against Jesus. They were attacking uh, his, his deity. They were attacking his claim to being the Messiah, and and so we don't necessarily have that. And for a lot of John, you can sort of figure things out, but today. We're going to be introduced to these three sort of, uh, three, I make the case for four, uh, uh, witnesses that come up to the witness stand that are going to testify. And there's some confusion about what these three things are. It's the, the water, the blood, and the spirit's pretty clear, but the water and the blood are the two of the four that are kind of confusing. And so there's, there's a difference an opinion amongst Christians about what these things are talking about. But concerning the main thing, what they're speaking about, there's no debate. There's, it's perfectly clear what they're saying. We just don't really, there's, there's a variety of opinion, but we'll just get into it. So verse 6, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. And so here we is, the, the one, we're speaking of the Messiah. This is the one that came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. So water and blood are sort of introduced. Now with this and what we see sort of in this clause after Jesus Christ, not with water only. And so that's sort of a, I don't want to say a clue, but it helps us sort of understand part of like, what was the other side? So there was something going on in the other side that said that Jesus just came by water and we don't really understand we don't really understand what that is but but John makes his point like he didn't come just by water he came by water and blood and the issue at hand seems to be his deity the one uh, capitalized in the new american standard jesus christ jesus is his name christ is his title it's the greek version of messiah in hebrew um that he came not just with water if he only came by water, it seems that the claim that they were making is that he wasn't divine, he was just a good man, that would stand up. But he's saying he didn't just come by water, he came by water and with the blood. And so as we look at this, um, there there are a couple of different options. Just in case, and for you, like, what is he talking about, water and blood? Like, what's happening here? Um, so they they're all in agreement that we're talking about Jesus. We're all in agreement that we're talking about that Jesus is the one who provides eternal life. But we don't exactly know looking backwards what were these three things, or the two things really, um, the water and the blood that John is referencing. I believe that if you were alive during John's time and you were reading this, you would you would have clarity uh, because you are closer to the situation at hand. And so option number one is... The water and the blood, some people hold, uh, that this refers to Jesus' birth. Now, I don't want to teach a Lamaze class or anything like that, um, but like when there's a childbirth, there's, there's, there's here I go teaching a Lamaze class, uh, water and blood are involved. And so some people hold that what John is referring to is that when Jesus made his entry into the earth, there was water and blood involved. Some people... Hold that they're not talking about his birth but they're talking about his death and they believe that the water and blood are referencing his crucifixion and if you remember the story during the crucifixion the soldier with the uh, the, the sword or the stick not the stick the spear is the word i'm looking for reaches up and stabs jesus between his ribs no 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 uh, bones are broken it enters up into his heart and then what came out of the spear water and blood, that the sack around was filled with like a waterish substance, and when it came out they saw water and blood. So some people think that what John is writing about is concerning Jesus' death. Um, some hold that what he's talking about is kind of taking the two, that this goes from his birth all the way to his death. Okay, that's that's one view. Uh, another view is that this is referencing Jesus's baptism? Uh, that this is dealing with Jesus's baptism. I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, do I? Which, uh, f- for a while there, I was really convinced that this is the one. But I, the more I think about, it, the more I just don't know, and I'm just going to have to like leave it with that. Um, so some hold. I think it's probably kind of a majority view that that the water is referring to Jesus's. Uh, baptism. Like it's the beginning of his earthly ministry. Some significant things happened during his his water baptism that we'll talk about later. Uh, and then his crucifixion at the end with the spear going in, there was obviously the water and the blood, but the whole crucifixion process that there was a lot of blood that happened during that time. Uh, so that's a third option or fourth option. And then the last option sort of takes all of them above and they think it refers to the ordinances uh, of like Christian baptism and Christians taking communion. I don't know. Uh, you can you can study you can study these five options. You can you can at the end of the day you can you can pick your favorite one and run with it. If you go study and you listen to a bunch of different people who make their case for which one they think it is, they all sound great to me. I mean, really, they all make really strong cases. So it's like. Just You listen to one, you're like, that sounds good. I'm going to stick with that one. Then you listen to another guy that holds uh, option number two, and you're like, now that guy's really good. I think I like his one. Then you hear option number four. And at the end of the day, I am not convinced that it really matters because it's what they're pointing to, which is the F emphasis. Um, but we're going to go through this. And I think I'm going to kind of go through it from the position of that it's his baptism and crucifixion. Um, mainly because that's what my notes say. This isn't something I'm going to fight over at all. Um, but so what he does is he calls the first witness to the stand. The first witness to the stand is the water. And so if this is Jesus' baptism, which I think you could make a case, like you can make a case for any one of these, but it, I'm, if you make a case for being his water baptism— Uh, His water baptism was pretty significant. To refresh our minds, there was John the Baptist who showed up on scene. He was a scraggly-looking guy from the wilderness, long hair, beard, eating honey and crickets, uh, dressed in basically like a burlap sack cloth, um, just a wild man. And his ministry was to prepare for Jesus' entry for his ministry to begin. And so we're told that he was out in the desert, and he was just calling people out for their sin, like naming their sins, challenging them. And people flocked to him. I don't know if they flocked to him to hear what other people's sins were or if they wanted, to, were intrigued by him. But we see that people heard the preaching of John the Baptist and they responded. They went into the waters of the Jordan. They confessed their sins. They were baptized and they were sort of set free. Now, Jesus enters the scene. Jesus has no sin. He's perfect. When he shows up to be baptized by John, John's like, what are you doing here, man? Like I, should be, like, I should be getting baptized by you, you not by me. Like, and Jesus is like, no, 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 let's do it. And so Jesus is getting baptized. I think that the significance here is that Jesus looks out at sinners and he wants to identify with sinners. He wants to be a part of them because he's ultimately their savior. At his baptism, he goes down. As he comes up, what happens, the spirit descends from heaven in the form of a dove. a voice spoke out of heaven, "This is my son in whom i 'm well pleased it was it was pretty significant it was this event was the event that began jesus 's ministry on earth uh, to live his perfect life, to be a teacher, to be an example, and ultimately to go to the cross as as the perfect uh, the atonement for sin, that he was our savior. So then the witness number two is called to the stand, the blood. And if this is Jesus' crucifixion, which I'm going to run with today for right now, um, if it was his crucifixion, we we think of Jesus' example through um, the whole crucifixion process, which really began in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you remember that story, as Jesus was sort of in great uh, anxiety, under great pressure, heading to the cross, he knew it was coming, and we're told that he was there, he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and we're told that he was under so much pressure that he began to, to sweat what? Droplets of blood. And then from there, he was ultimately betrayed, and we're told that he was just beaten ruthlessly, like like the beatings that he endured going to the cross just destroyed his body. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be so ruthlessly beaten that he was not recognizable as man or a woman because it was just so horrific the the suffering that they went through um, and so the point of the water and the blood it 's regardless of the view. You hold, I think that the issue that all of them are all of the options are conveying is the identity of Christ, this big theological word, the hypostatic union of Christ, which is something that is very difficult for us to understand, and the hypostatic union of Christ is this theological concept that is is beyond what our brains can handle, is that Jesus is fully man and he 's fully God that that God came to earth. He took the form of a man, and while he took the form of man, he was both God and both human, and this is hard, extremely difficult for us to understand. He was God at his conception. He was God and man throughout the course of his life, and that as his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he still maintained the, the Godhead, and, and this is a case uh, that John is making to the critics who said he was just a good man that maybe had some divinity along the way, but the divinity sort of departed from him. And the point seems to be that John is saying, no, he was fully God, fully man throughout the duration of his life from beginning to end. And then it goes on to say, it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify The Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. And so the the third witness that comes up to the stand is the Holy Spirit. And he basically says, the Holy Spirit cannot lie. The Spirit is truth. And the Spirit is testifying towards these things that I am saying, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that his death was sufficient for us. He says that the three, the water, the blood, and the Spirit, that these three are in agreement with their testimony concerning who Jesus is. And so um, they still, John, or they, John still hasn't said what the testimony is. We have to get to verse 11 in order to to discover what is the testimony that they're talking about. And so we'll move along to verse nine. And he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. And so what he's pointing out is that as humans, we rely so much on the testimony of men, right? You, we, you cannot possibly, uh, all the information that you have in your, your head, You, it's impossible for you to gather all of this individ, information on your own. Everything that you have, you've taken from, not everything, a huge amount of information you have in your head is taken from other sources uh, people who are eyewitnesses, police officers, they show up on a scene, there's an accident, okay, what happened? And then when they say, oh, I saw this, and then they talk to another person, I saw this, and then they talk to another pe- person, I saw this. And so by the time they talk to, like, the five different people with the five different stories, they're able to kind of, like, piece together what they think the truth is from the various eyewitnesses. And he's saying, you take the testimony of other humans, the testimony of God is greater God trumps anything that we can say about him or not say about him. And he says, God is the one who is testifying concerning the son. So verse nine, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. He's saying in the past tense, God has spoken concerning his son. And then it begs the question of like, how did the father testify about the son? I referenced one at the baptism of Jesus, right? So Jesus was baptized. As he went under sort of this huge sort of event, the heavens opened up, uh, the dove comes down, the voice out of heaven speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I would imagine that was uh, a little bit eye-opening for people who were there. It's believed that John the Baptist, oh, not John the Baptist, John the Baptist was for sure there, but the Apostle John, that he was likely present at this event also. The second event, uh, you guys, can you think of the second one? Uh, the transfiguration. So then the transfiguration, this, this event as they're leading towards the cross, Jesus pulls James, John, uh, Peter, James, and John. i got to say them in the right order. I won't be able to get them all. So Peter, James, and John, they go to this location, Peter, in his classic form is like oh no it's the feast of tabernacles jesus wants us to build him a little like something or something's going on jesus what he does is through his humanity he allows his deity to be shown and so we're told that he just started um like radiating this 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 glory of god that was unlike anything else you know i think uh, they record that it was wider than any bleach could make clothing. It was this just overwhelming brightness. Peter's like we got to make him we got to make him a little a little shed or something for t- like he's just like nervous. I mean, we laugh at him, but it's like I we would do something similar. And during this event, while while this is happening, the father speaks from heaven. And he says, "This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased." And then it's added, listen to him. And then there's a third time that the father spoke out of heaven. That's easy to kind of forget. Like I, if you asked me last week, I don't think I would have gotten the third one. Um, the third one happens in John chapter 12, verses 27 to 30. And what's happening here uh, during this story? It's 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 a little bit more difficult to recap. But Jesus is there, and he's praying to the Father, and then this response happens from heaven that sort of gets everybody's attention. And Jesus says, "Hey, this voice hasn't come for my sake; it's come for, from you for your sake." And sort of the the uh, what's insinuated here is that Jesus is praying to the Father. The Father responds. The people who are listening to Jesus are like t- like blown back. That no way, this guy who prays to the Father, the Father responds to him. It was like that one time, do you remember, for those of you that were here, it was one of the more terrifying events at church. Um, Dawn singing a worship song, I called, you answered, earthquake. I mean, it was kind of like that event. It was like, that was nuts. And so uh, like it was one of those things that the people were like, there's something like just different about this guy. And then if you were to go to the cross where Jesus does it like the, the father doesn't speak, but at the cross that the, that the world went dark. It was like the lights turned off. And it's like what John is saying here is that the father has the authority to testify about his son. Nobody knows his son better than the father. And the father is testifying of who his son is. Instead of arguing against him, what we should be doing is falling down on our faces, terrified before him, understanding his authority. He goes on to say in verse 11, the one who believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself. And so while Jesus is on the stand in this courtroom in this story, I believe that the greater courtroom scene that John is trying to address is the courtroom that's taking place in your heart and in your mind. And so here he's addressing the one who has believed. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony. That word testimony is this key word that sort of flows uh, throughout this passage. We see the testimony of the water. We see the testimony of the blood. We see the testimony of the Spirit. We see the testimony of God the Father, and now we see the, the testimony of the one who believes. And so you might be a person who believes, and you're thinking, how is this testimony uh, within me? And for me, how I've seen this adjust over the course of my life is because I've been on both sides of the aisle in this testimony against Jesus, And I remember when I first went to church as an adult and I was really investigating, I wasn't really investigating, I was trying to get my friend off my back. And so I went to church with a very critical spirit. And as I sat through church, as I listened to the words that were being sung, as I listened to the pastor who was speaking within me, I was thinking, this is a bunch of baloney. But I wasn't a Christian and so I used different words. I was like, this is garbage. Like this is just a a nut job up here who's found like a placebo that's making him feel better about life and I don't believe. But then somewhere along the line, something changed within my heart. I had come to faith in Christ. And now when I sit through sermons or I listen to sermons or I hear people speak about their testimony, now within me there's like something within me that's different. And if they're, And if they're like, like nudging right up to the gospel in the audience, like within me, I'm like, preach it, brother. Say it. Get to the gospel. Do it. And I'm like cheering them on. I'm like all on board. And I think that's what he's saying that the person who believes like within them, they have this testimony in themselves that they testify to the veracity, to the truth that yes, Jesus saves. Yes, Jesus changed lives. Just look at my life. Look at what he's done in my life. And that's within us testifying to the truth. Of the gospel, you can hear all of the facts. But there's something about experiencing Jesus. When you go from your old life in Christ to your new life in him, and you begin to see that the way you think and the things that bring you satisfaction and the things that used to bring you joy no longer bring you joy and the things that you thought were crazy, suddenly you're so on board with God because he's changed the song of your heart. And it's beautiful. Beautiful. He goes on to say the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. So on one hand, you have those who have responded. They have testimony verifying that Jesus is who he he is. On the other hand, which I have been on both sides of this, um, where we deny that Jesus is the Messiah. We deny that Jesus has the power, the authority to be our substitute on the cross. We deny the claims of the Bible and we're told in that moment when we deny, our trouble then becomes because you're looking at God who's saying one thing and you're saying you're wrong. It's not true. I don't believe. And I love that in this story, the story is not that God is condemning us, but that God is pleading for us, that if you have not believed, he wants nothing more than for you to come to faith in his son and to find life and relationship with him. And so then we come to verse 11. This testimony that hasn't been revealed up to this point, I've alluded to it, I've said it a whole bunch of times, but we don't actually read it in the text until today. And so in verse 11, and the testimony is this. What testimony? The testimony of the water, which we're not sure really what it is. The testimony of the blood, which we're not really sure what it is. The testimony of the Spirit, which gets a little bit more easy to understand. We understand the Spirit of God and his testimony concerning Jesus. We've seen the testimony of the Father concerning his Son. We've seen the testimony of the believers In their hearts towards the son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. That phrase is beautiful. Some key words in that phrase, given. It doesn't say that we've earned eternal life. If you go back to the person who's rejected the son that makes God a liar, what it says there, the condemnation that's there to that individual is that they haven't believed. Given by God to us, God has given us eternal life in his son. You receive this eternal life by believing. This is when you look at the facts of the gospel. Okay, the the claim of the scriptures is that Jesus was God in heaven. You read Genesis 1.1 when God is in the plural. The plurality of God is the father, the son, and the spirit. Before time existed, there was a father, son, and spirit. By the time we get to Genesis uh, 3 and we see the fall of humanity and God says we have to come up with a plan. And as judgment is given to the world, we're told of this promise that through the woman's seed the Messiah would come. Throughout the Old Testament, the, they looked forward to this promised Messiah and that ultimately in Jesus the promise was fulfilled. And through him his death, burial, and resurrection, our sins have been paid for. There's nothing for you to do. It's a gift that came at a great cost. We simply respond in belief. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son, he who has the son has the life. If you have Jesus, you have life eternal. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. And I I keep, my brain keeps crossing out the word, but the word is super important is the. It's the life. You either have the life or you don't have the life. And the life is found in Christ. It's life eternal. This doesn't begin at your death. It begins at belief. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. The life begins at conversion, this eternal life. And God has given it. Jesus has stood in your place. It's received by faith through grace alone. Period. The wrath that was due you for your sins was placed upon him and he was your substitute. Like we're not going there, but it bleeds over like verse 13, like he's leading towards assurance. Cause we can think to ourselves like there's no, there's no way there's no way this is possible. And We're going to focus on verse 13 in two weeks exclusively, but it says these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus' work on the cross was sufficient there's going to be doubts that creep into your mind. You're going to remember all your past sins. You're going to remember the things that you did wrong. You know that even in Christ, how you fall short, how your thoughts go astray, that you have a sinful nature still in Christ, that there's a war within you. And you think, I thought this, or I did that, and I missed the mark, so my salvation is gone. No, you didn't earn your salvation. You don't lose your salvation. Your salvation is based upon Jesus. You have Jesus. You have life, period. The, the economics make no sense to us. And so today we're like we're ending with communion. And so the, the team is going to come forward and we're going to pass out the elements. But as the elements come forward, the, the first step is just to reflect upon these things. Do you have Jesus? If you don't have Jesus, then communion is not for you. Communion and nobody judges. If you don't take it, that's fine. You guys can begin the process. I'll just keep talking. There's not a judgment if you don't take communion. Like if you're not a Christian, there's no point in taking communion. Communion is for those of us who have responded. And so if you haven't received Christ and you're curious, like quite frankly, you can come forward as they're passing out and I'll pray for you down here if you'd like that. Um, for those of us who have Receive Christ as our Savior. It's a time for us to confess our sins. It's a time for us to get right with God, and so I'm going to ask that you, uh, you would do that as these go through, and then hold the elements. Okay, as so we hold the elements in our hands, kind of stepping back and looking at these handful of verses. The whole point of this section is John is bringing up his star witness to testify about the messiahship of Jesus, and what he says is that Jesus has the testimony of the heavenly realm claiming what he did. We hold these elements—a like, you know, cracker and some juice—in our hands. Uh, communion is a time for us to sort of. Uh, to, to realign, like the spiritual nature within us. It's so easy for us to go down, you know, a couple roads. Um, we can go down the road of thinking, now that I've become a Christian, now I'm going to just go ahead and, uh, you know, pull up my pants on my own. I'm going to live a good Christian life. I'm going to do all the things that I need to do on my own strength to be right with God. And this is a reminder to us that you don't have that capacity. You haven't been asked by God to do that. We're reminded through the cracker and the juice that Jesus paid it all for us. He did it all. The other direction we can go is, well, Jesus paid it all and his grace is so abundant that I can just sort of live my life however I want, and I can just run ragged in sin because God is so gracious. And I I think that taking communion, it stops us in our tracks also. Is that Jesus died to free me from my sin, not to leave me in bondage to it. Like, as I take communion, I'm reminded of what he did and the wrath that he bore. And why would I want to continue to live my life in the way that I was living beforehand? It came at a great cost. It was a free gift to me, but it was a great cost for him. And so there might be sin in your life that you're struggling with, and like, certainly this side of heaven, none of us are going to attain perfection. But I think that what communion does is it should force us to have a brokenness in our heart for our sin. Sure, where we fall on our knees before God, and it's like, Lord, help me. This sin has me so entangled. I'm so ensnared. I can't even imagine being out of it. I need you to help me to get through this. So communion reminds us through both sides that we're completely dependent upon him, and we need him to live our lives in a way that's worthy of him. And so the cracker reminds us of his broken body on the cross. The juice is symbolic of the blood, the new covenant, this eternal covenant in Christ, that his death was once and for all, that we're sealed securely in him. We're also told that we're to, to as often as we take this, it's, it's to remind us of the commission that he's given, that he has chosen to use his church to be a light to the lost world that each one of us has a role in the Great Commission. So with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the broken body of Jesus. Father, I thank you that he stood there in my place and that he absorbed your wrath that was due me and each one of us Father, I pray for every person here that the the weight of this reality would, would weigh on our hearts, that we would have clarity about what Jesus did for us. Father, I pray for those that maybe haven't received Christ as their Savior or they're unsure. I pray, Father, that you would help them to draw close to you that they would seek counsel from me or people who they know and love and trust that can share with them how the gospel applies to their life, that they ultimately would have assurance in Jesus. For your word tells us over and over and over again that there is assurance in Christ and that you want us to know that his work was sufficient for us. And so we drink this juice today as a reminder of his blood, this eternal covenant, that our security is totally and completely wrapped around the God-man Jesus. And Father, we do thank you for all that you have done for us, for all that you are doing in our midst. We pray that you would help us to open up our hearts to you more and more, that we would release ourselves to you so that you would fully have us in every aspect of our life. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.